Welcome to the Perp Web Podcast, hosted by Joe Bosch. Ben Tran. Okay. So today we're going to be talking about advanced review of ventilator settings for ARDS. Um, you know, being a perfusionist, you know, we really don't get to work with ventilators and manage them much, you know, in the OR setting because, you know, we're on bypass. The only thing we're, you know, really managing that has to do with any kind of ventilation is the blender sweep, you know, um, and then our FIO2. Um, so, you know, being that now that we've been seeing a lot more ECMOs in the ICU setting, you know, where, you know, as clinicians, we have a lot more opportunity to be at the bedside and, you know, look at what our patient's doing and, you know, also pay attention to what our vents are doing because uh, sometimes not every location or program you go to, uh, intensivists and clinicians are um, actually uh, setting the vents appropriately to what the patients need. And then sometimes little things that, you know, may be helpful to what you may be able to recommend to a physician or intensivist might be helpful to, you know, um, improve your patient's uh, quality on ECMO. Um, so let's get started and uh, ventilator basics. We're going to start with so different, different properties to help understand mechanism of mechanical ventilation. We'll start with basics, um, ideal gas law. So Robert Boyle found that PV, uh, which is pressure times volume, equals N, uh, capital R, and T. Uh, N being the amount of substance of uh, blood. Um, R is your ideal gas constant. Um, and then temperature, which also is known just to be uh, constant as well. So from this, uh, we know that pressure and volume are inversely proportioned. Uh, with this, we can also say that compliance equals volume over pressure or delta, delta V over uh, delta P, change of volume over change of pressure. Every set of lungs have a specific compliance. If pressure change seen on a vent is small with a large tidal volume, that means your compliance is good. If pressure change is greater for a smaller tidal volume, that means you have a poor compliance. So common uh, modes of ventilation. These are just various uh, types of ventilator modes that you'll see um, in the settings. Um, but uh, shortly, I'll go over the, the main uh, ones that most people will definitely see as uh, perfusion clinicians uh, in the ICU. Um, so we have assist control. Um, assist control basically uh, allows you to deliver a set tidal volume. Um, and uh, SIMB, which is synchronous uh, intermittent mandatory ventilation, that also will uh, deliver a set tidal volume, but it allows the patient to also breathe spontaneously and trigger, trigger the breath. Um, pressure support ventilation, um, it adds pressure support on top of your PEEP to help uh, increase uh, inspiratory pressure, um, decrease the negative work of the patient. Um, that also allows you to, uh, the patient to breathe spontaneously. Uh, CPAP, continuous positive airway pressure. Uh, most people uh, often see this on patients who are being weaned um, from a ventilator or wanting to um, uh, increase the patient's uh, spontaneous breathing, um, being off of sedation, possibly getting um, worked up on a list for a transplant. Um, so with content, continuous positive airway pressure, uh, typically you'll set like a PEEP uh, and it's positive pressure uh, during inspiration and expiration. Uh, volume support, um, basically just uh, another volume control mode. CMV, CMV is control mode ventilation. Similar to ass assist control, the only difference between assist control and CMV, uh, control mode uh, CMV does not allow the patient to trigger the breath. 
where assist control of the patient can trigger the breath. Uh, APRV, um, airway pressure release ventilation, um, that's uh, a, a new type of uh, ventilation mode that um, some uh, programs are using now. Uh, they they, they uh, call it an open lung approach where they allow the patient to breathe spontaneously uh, during inspiration and expiration. Um, inverse ratio ventilation, also that's um, basically um, those, uh, that setting can be manipulated in any, any ventilator mode where you actually can set uh, the pressure um, that basically in, you're able to adjust the I and E ratio, which we'll talk about again later. Um, high frequency oscillator ventilation. Um, typically you see these in uh, neonatals and pediatrics. Basically helps maintain uh, alveolar inflation constant uh, to help resuscitate a, a rescue maneuver that uses low tidal volume with constant mean airway pressure uh, with high respiratory rate. Okay, so initial vent settings. Um, basically, you know, you'll, when you're setting up a vent uh, as a clinician, you have um, vent modes, um, and then you'll have a tidal volume, uh, which the clinician will set according to the patient's ideal body, uh, ideal body weight, um, six to eight uh, mLs per kilo. Um, uh, FL2%, um, fraction-inspired O2. Um, your flow rate, uh, your flow rate is uh, 40 to 60 liters per minute. Um, inspiratory flow rate is basically how fast your tidal volume is delivering. Um, for example, for a COPD patient, you may need a faster flow rate to increase or quicken your eye time because COPDs tend to air trap, right? So uh, if you shorten your eye time, that'll give the patient a longer E time so they can expire all the CO2 that they're air trapping. And I time is inspiratory, E time is Correct. expiratory. So, so real yeah. quick, just for clarification, yeah. so your I time, so when you're saying you want a quicker I time, so it would be, for example, like uh, that one, like a one to two, so your I time's one and your, uh, 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 your E time is two, so you're having the longer breathing out, is breathing, that correct? Long expiratory time, correct. Okay. Yeah, so I probably should have said, uh, increasing the speed of the eye time. Oh, okay. To, to, to clarify that, okay. that that phrase I just mentioned. So yeah, typically your IE ratio normally is one to two or one to four. Uh, for COPD, you may want them as a four, one to four, or even one so to six. So let's thumb oh, this okay. down a little bit for Joe. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh -huh. So there's two separate concepts here. Mm -hmm. There's your inspiratory expiratory ratio, which you're saying is like one second in and then two seconds out or one second in four seconds out correct but your inspiratory time is a totally different thing it's the speed in which it's going are, is that is that correct or am i incorrect no so the inspiratory time and expiratory time those two numbers will basically divide it depend on on your total cycle time so for instance um if your total cycle time is like six seconds right um, so you're breathing 10 times a minute. Yes, correct, correct. So if, you're, if you're, you've set your eye time at one second, that means you have five seconds left to expire. So when we look at okay. a ventilator mm -hmm. and we see this, because mm -hmm. you know, some of the ventilators show this, is it showing me, what are those, the numbers like that we see like that, mm -hmm. like one to two? That's, one to two. that's your IE ratio. 
so that's the ratio. How do I know how long the actual cycle is? Is it telling me that so as you, well? Your cycle time is based on your respiratory rate. Okay, so it's connected to your mm -hmm. respiratory yes. rate. Yes, so if your respiratory rate is 10 times a minute, mm -hmm. and your IE ratio is 1 to 2. So, so your respiratory rate. So, so it's, it's, it's. So, so 10 so times, so 10, 10 breaths a minute, right? Uh, 60 divided by 10, that gives you 6. Right. Yeah. So your total cycle time is six seconds. Six seconds. So uh, if you adjust your IE ratio, say if you want an inverse ratio, say you want to improve oxygenation uh, and, and do permissive hypercapnia, right, because you're going to trap a low CO2, um, but you improve oxygenation by giving that longer eye time. So I would set my eye time to maybe 1. Um, maybe 1.5, uh, and that would give me, a, a, what, a four and a half? Four and a half e time, so mm -hmm. your e IE ratio would shorten, right? It just has to add up to six. Correct, because that's all the time you have. Exactly, because exactly. that's the rate that you have. Exactly, right. exactly. Okay. Um, and so, what the um, the question you were asking earlier about the um, I time and the speed? So your flow rate, so your your flow rate is your peak inspiratory flow. That's how fast the the vent delivers the volume, mm -hmm. the flow. So Ideally, it's set at 46 to 60 liters per minute, but you can set it at like 80 liters per minute or even 90 liters per minute. <clears throat> and, um, uh, and what that allows you to do is shorten your eye time because the flow goes out really quick, right? So, you, you don't, so um, what, what the time you have left during that cycle time is going to be the remaining E time. Mm. Okay. Okay, mm -hmm. I understand mm -hmm. that. Yeah. But standard flow rates are usually set. 40 to 60 liters per minute. Okay. Um, and typically things like that, um, physicians and clinicians really don't adjust as much as almost as a default, but that's something that um, someone can actually uh, adjust and manipulate if they want to uh, specifically adjust the inspiratory flow speed according to what the patient needs. So that, for the most part, it's 40 to 60, and that's what people leave it. But if you really were specializing for this particular mm -hmm. patient's, right. you could adjust mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. if, I, if, if we have a patient that we're ventilating as the COPD, and um, we want, and he's, he's air trapping, so we want to shorten our eye time. So, you know, in addition, you can shorten your eye time by, you say, by lowering your, your, your IE ratio, right? You can shorten your eye time, yeah. but then also if you increase your flow rate, that inspiratory flow rate when the volume is delivered from the ventilator, if you increase the speed, right, it'll be less than 46 liters per minute, right? It will be faster. It will be at 80 liters per minute or 90 liters per minute. So just to dumb it down for me, um, mm -hmm. when you say air trap, that, that's because they're not fully um, breathing, breathing out? Breathing out. Okay. Because COPDs have like obstructive right. pulmonary disease, so they're not able to expire uh, all the, the CO2 out of the lung. So, you know, yeah. they, they tend to air trap. Yeah, okay. I just want to make and, sure I understood mm -hmm. what that meant. Um, and so next we also have sensitivity. Sensitivity is something that we also don't usually um, have to set. It's usually a default, uh, but sensitivity is usually set at minus one and minus two. That basically just uh, allows, gives the patient a, that negative pressure effort to help reduce, help the patient overcome the, um, the trigger. Oh. Because, you know, we... At, at, when we're breathing spontaneous, we create negative pressure, right? Yeah. Um, and that negative pressure is used to trigger the vent. So we increase the sensitivity to minus two, minus one. We're assisting the patient to, to um, allow it to make it easy for them to trigger the vent. 
Okay, because they don't need as quite a, as a, a the negative pressure isn't going to be as negative. Absolutely. And so then you're doing that to kind of uh, reduce their work of breathing. Yeah. Okay, reduce the work of breathing. Um, PEEP, uh, positive in expiratory pressure, um, a popular one that I think uh, most clinicians are familiar, familiar with. Um, initial PEEP settings are usually four to six uh, centimeters of water. Um, it's essential during expiratory phase. Basically, PEEP um, allows uh, the airways to stay open, the alveolus to stay open, uh, helps improve oxygenation and um, increase lung recruitment. Uh, because uh, typically, um, you, when you ventilate a patient, you, you generally don't want the patient's um, pressure and expiratory pressure to come back to zero uh, because what happens is it's kind of like blowing up a balloon. Um, when you blow up a balloon and when you first inflate the balloon, it's like, uh, that's like pretend it's your lungs. When you first inflate it, it takes a lot of work to it's blow hard. it up, right? right. Yeah. But if you let some of the air out and you hold just a little bit of air in and then when you try to reinflate it, the, the elasticity and the stretch of the, the, the balloon um, doesn't have as much to overcome because there's already uh, a, a constant pressure in there. Mm. And so what that, that's what PEEP is, basically. Huh. If that makes sense. Yes, it mm -hmm. makes perfect sense. Um, understanding vent settings and mechanics, uh, additionals. So uh, settings, um, so uh, your, your basic settings would be like respiratory rate and tidal volume, like we mentioned earlier. So the important keys of respiratory rate and tidal volume, these two components, they make up the patient's minute ventilation, right? So minute ventilation is respiratory rate times tidal volume. So uh, anytime you change one of those um, uh, numbers, then you would actually uh, increase ventilation. Um, so your average, um, so for instance, respiratory rate of 10, tidal volume of 500. So your minute ventilation is five liters per minute. That's the key and important thing um, to uh, removing CO2. Um, and you know, it's a good thing to know because sometimes you know, um, a lot of clinicians um, that are not respiratory therapists or not very familiar with ventilators, you think that tidal volume improves oxygenation. Somewhat it does because, yes, you do need a tidal volume to expand the lungs, but tidal volumes is more uh, related to CO2 removal, oh. not, not oxygenation. I did not so, understand that. Um, because, and, and all you have to do is go back to minute ventilation equals respiratory rate times tidal volume. You change either one of those, and that will increase your minute ventilation. You lower any one of those, that would decrease your minute ventilation. So you would retain more CO2. Okay. Um, it's like sweet. Exactly. Yeah, is, your tidal is. volume yeah. is like sweet. It exactly, it. it's just like sweet. Okay, got But you it. don't think of it, of it like that. You think about tidal volume, you think about it's just oxygen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, your tidal volume is also, is actually the more efficient way to increase ventilation. Um, oh. You know, when, when you think about, okay, you know, you see a blood gas, your CO2 level is high. The first thing most clinicians, the intensivists, you know, or someone may think is like, okay, just go up on your rate. Mm -hmm. But then the problem is when you go up on your respiratory rate, that actually um, causes more dead space. So your dead space, uh, it, your CO2 dead space is uh, the dead space that holds CO2 there, where there's no gas exchange within, with, <coughs> with, is within your trachea, your bronchial airways, and your artificial airway, right, your, your endotracheal tube. But when you increase your tidal volume, that tidal volume that delivers, you get 100% of that tidal volume with no, with, without increasing CO2. Does that make any sense? Not really. <laughs> well, is it because your, the rate, it's so much faster, so it doesn't have time to uh, fully, fully expand. expand? Fully expand. 
But with the tidal volume, because you're giving more tidal volume, it's making it expand fully, and so therefore you will get rid of more CO2. Right, yes, exactly. That, that, this is assuming normal lung. Normal lung, correct. Yeah. Normal lung, too. Exactly. Um, because uh, for whatever tidal volume that's delivered to the patient, 100% um, well, of that tidal volume is what the patient gets during inspiration and expiration, right? But remember, and we're going to talk about this later, so the, the difference between the volume that the patient is getting, um, there's airway, there's air, dynamic pressure and there's static pressure. Dynamic is when there's airflow moving. That's when the volume is delivered and then when the, the volume is expired, right? So static is when there is no airflow moving, but volume is still in the lungs, which is, would be at your maybe peak inspiratory pressure or at your peak level, right? So um, during that time, there also, the, the problem is in your lungs, like I mentioned in the trachea and the bronchial airways and in the artificial airway of your endotracheal tube uh, and your circuit, those areas don't have any gas exchange. Am I right? Gas exchange only occurs in your alveoli, right? Mm -hmm. So that's where the tidal volumes um, go into the, into the, in, in, in the alveoli, hold the, hold the pressure, hold the volume. But the bronchial airways and your trachea and the artificial airway there's no gas exchange that occurs. So because of that, CO2 isn't removed. Because CO2 isn't removed, that becomes dead space. Metal so because uh, if, if you increase that. your respiratory rate, you're just increasing the amount of times that you're actually delivering the tidal volume, so you're still increasing the dead space. Yeah. So but, it's but in, the tidal it's, volume never changed. Yeah, it's in the dead space. That's kind more, of confusing, too. More frequently. To, I, I, and I maybe I did a bad job explaining no, it at the beginning. No, you didn't do it. Dude, yeah. you've done a great job so far. Yeah. yeah, we're not respiratory therapists. So it takes us a minute. <laughs> and I'm assuming there's a lot of non-respiratory therapists out there. Um, no, it is now. Amateur hour. <laughs> I guess I'm not doing a good job either. My mic wasn't on. Go ahead. Okay. It's probably best. Nobody can hear me. I just saw uh, my lips moving. Yes. <laughs> so um, just like I mentioned earlier, with increased respiratory rate, you increase ventilation, but also increases dead space. Um, FIO2 and PEEP. Those two keys are important for increasing oxygenation. Um, PEEP is limiting because it depends on your airway resistance and your compliance, C for compliance, which can cause your peak pressure when elevated. So uh, that's the only limitations of PEEP. Um, but higher the PEEP, uh, the higher the PEEP, you can increase pressure in your lungs, uh, leading to um, you know, increased oxygenation. Um, another, but also with higher PEEPs, um, you lead to increasing uh, thoracic pressure which also increases your right atrial pressure, um, decreasing venous return, which can decrease out, out, uh, cardiac output and decrease your blood pressure. So that's... So high PEEP is, is the enemy, yeah, right? Exactly. Too high of a PEEP is the yeah. enemy. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, things like that you really don't look at or think about. You know, you just think about high PEEP. The first thing, you know, you're, we're used to seeing is, okay, you see a high PEEP and you worry about the peak pressures being high because that's yeah. the first things that, that change yeah. dramatically. As soon as you increase your PEEP, you'll see the peak pressures go way up. Yeah. Um, um, and depending on what the patient's hemodynamics is, you might not be paying attention to what the patient's blood pressure is. So, you know, it's just another tool to look at um, when we're monitoring and trying to um, diagnose, you know, what the patient's needs and, you know, how much peak is helping the patient with his oxygenation, mm -hmm. um, peak pressures, and blood pressure. Mm -hmm. um, oh, sorry, did I miss something? Um, so, um, yeah, ideal driving pressure, um, this is something that um, 
you, we don't really hear about talk about it a lot, but um, I've heard physicians sometime at the hospital, you know, when we're looking at, you know, not to me, but they're asking the therapist, oh, you know, what the patient's driving pressure is, and they want to know. Um, basically, your, your driving pressure is your plateau minus your peep. So that, that oh. gradient between your peep, so you're at a peep of five, and your plateau, ideally your, a good plateau pressure is uh, 30 or less, right? So if your peep is, say, 10, and your plateau pressure is like 25, that means your driving pressure is 15, which is good, because uh, ideal driving pressure of 15 or 14 to 18 millimeters of mercury, I mean, um, actually centimeters of water, um, is safe for the patient, right? Oh. You're, you're maintaining a good airway pressure uh, in addition to uh, reducing the risk of uh, barrel trauma to the lungs. Mm -hmm. mm. Does that That's make sense? something I'm going to be asking you a lot about is, is, is our problem with barrel trauma. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I know I mentioned a lot about different um, vent modes, but these are the, the four standard vent modes that I think typically perfusionists we see uh, mainly in the clinical setting. Um, assist control and CMV control, um, pressure control, CPAP or BiPAP when we're being weaned, right? Um, uh, pressure support, most commonly used with CPAP um, or SIMV, which is synchronous intermittent mechanical ventilation. Uh, and then I'm also going to talk about the other alternative secondary ventilator modes, which is APRV and bilevel, uh, open lung approach. Um, yeah. Those we don't see a lot, but we have seen them with yeah. COVID patients. Yeah. And it, I think it just depends some centers, uh, certain physicians, depending on where they train, they like using these modes better. Yeah. And, and they're good modes, and I'll, I'll talk more about them in a little bit. Okay. So assist control and CMV, they're basically the same uh, modes. They both uh, deliver a set tidal volume. Um, the difference between them is CMV, controlled mandatory ventilation. The patient cannot initiate a breath. Um, it's basically a time cycle. So, um, you know, um, whatever the set respiratory rate is at 10 breaths, it'll initiate the breath. So would you give that, you would use that on somebody who's paralyzed? Absolutely, absolutely. Paralyzed, um, uh, heavily sedated, um, and not really breathing over the vent. A lot of narcotics. Narcotics, absolutely. Fentanyl or whatever. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Somebody like you would definitely want to like have full control of, of, of ventilation um, and you know control tidal volume. You don't want any changes. For instance, like um, uh, maybe cranies. You know you're trying to um, uh, with it hypo hypo uh, hyperventilate, right? Mm. Uh, to to um, keep that yeah, to, yeah, yeah, blow the CO2 off. Do you do stage controllably? So you don't want them to breathe spontaneously. You don't want any changes in the CO2 level. You want to be able to control your CO2. Um, so you, you give the set tidal volume, you have the set rate, and you know the patient's going to get that um, every 10 seconds. Okay. Um, so uh, assist control, the patient actually can trigger the vent. But the vent will still uh, always deliver the set tidal volume at the set rate, um, regardless if the patient does not trigger or not. So if they trigger, then it goes ahead and does it then? Before the, before the breath. And then will it wait until the appropriate amount of time, or will they get breaths closer together? It, uh, it will. It will um, if the patient is actually breathing that spontaneously, then actually it will allow the patient to give another breath. But if a patient, say at six seconds, if the patient triggers the vent, it delivers a breath, and if the patient doesn't breathe for another 10 seconds, it'll just deliver another 10 seconds. Okay. But if the patient actually breathes again at four seconds, the vent will actually trigger and allow to, to, to deliver a tidal volume 
but the title volume will always be set at an ACVC. Yeah. So that's, that's always a set volume. Okay. So that's actually a good volume, uh, a good mode. It's standard because it's easy. Um, you I know, think we see that one yeah, a lot. Yeah, I think some places, be, you know, initially when you're setting up a patient on a ventilator, you, you kind of don't know what the needs are. And, you know, it's almost a mode that you can set it and forget it. But you don't want to set it and forget it because you need to see what the patient's doing. Mm -hmm. But at least this gives us a baseline to see what the patient's demands are, um, how much sedation the patient needs, how, how paralyzed the patient needs to be. It's a good one to kind of analyze mm -hmm. the, the specific patient yeah. needs, yeah. Patient's compliance, you know. Um, you know, the, the, and, and the problem with, with this mode, I find that because you're setting, especially with ARDS for us, you know, I mean, you know, these this, this mode works great with other diseases, but I think with ARDS, we, we do see it with ARDS, but the problem is uh, with ARDS, you know, you may see a set, you may see a high peak pressure because it's always delivering a set tidal volume. So yeah, you can, you, can, you can decrease your tidal volume, but there are other great modes, which I'll talk about later, like pressure control, pressure support, where you're allowed to set, set, uh, deliver a tidal volume, but it actually limits the pressure to protecting so it, their lungs. So it gives whatever tidal volume it needs to achieve the maximum pressure, but not more. For pressure control or pressure yeah. ventilation, correct. Mm. Yeah. Um, so like I was saying, it delivers a specific volume. It's set, it's set average tidal volume is 500 to 600, 8 mLs per kilo per ideal body weight. So uh, if, the patient, if the patient doesn't trigger a breath, then the vent delivers a time cycle breath based on the respiratory rate. Mm. Um, so like we talked about earlier, respiratory rate, cycle time of 60 seconds divided by 10, mm -hmm. which gives you six seconds of vent, uh, will deliver a breath every six seconds if the patient does not initiate, right? Mm -hmm. um, our next mode, pressure control ventilation. Uh, this is also a, a mode that's been becoming very popular um, mm. to help with protective lung, uh, lung injury. Uh, setting is a respiratory rate. Uh, PI is your inspiratory pressure. You have a TI, which is the inspiratory time. So there's no tidal volume setting. You, you, oh. you basically set your volume. Uh, your, your volume is delivered based on your time. Um, and so, so the longer the time, the bigger the volume? Uh, all, yes, but it's also limited by pressure as well. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. you're never going to go over that pressure. Absolutely. But if you wanted to get as much volume as you can with the maintaining your ceiling for your pressure, you could increase your time. You could. You could. Um, PEEP, sensitivity and flow, like I mentioned earlier, those are also uh, great tools in adjusting what the patient needs. So the lower the set PI or inspiratory pressure, you would probably see a lower tidal volume which is delivered depending on the patient's compliance, right? Yeah. Uh, a patient with a high compliance would have a greater tidal volume uh, with a set inspiratory pressure, right? Mm -hmm. um, because remember, um, compliance is volume over pressure or delta or change in volume over change in pressure. So mm -hmm. they're, they're uh, inversely proportional to each other. Mm -hmm. So your TI or your inspiratory time or your I time basically sets your cycle in relation to your expiratory time to determine your I ratio. Um, so in pressure control ventilation, you don't actually have an E time that you adjust. You have your inspiratory time because whatever your inspiratory time is, the default, whatever your E time is going to be a default of what is left over from the yeah, cycle Yeah, whatever time. is left over. Exactly. Okay. Um, so uh, example, respiratory rate of 10, 10 breaths a minute. Your I time is one second. So that means your total cycle time is 60 seconds uh, divided by 10, which gives you six seconds. 
So if we already know our, our, our total cycle time is six seconds, at one second of inspiratory time, we have five seconds left of expiratory time. Okay. Um, like we mentioned, pressure control is good for ventilation patients with uh, reducing bowel trauma. Uh, volume delivery allows for spontaneous breathing. It will vary depending on patients or intrinsic respiratory ability, thoracic compliance, airway resistance, and I to E ratios and rise time. So this is a, a, a flow graph for pressure control ventilation. Let me show you something. Mm -hmm. If you put your finger, oh, yeah. just, just, just touch it and hold mm -hmm. until you see. Well, let, don't do it both at the same time. Just push and hold until you see the laser, then you can move it oh, around. Okay. Once you move your finger, it goes away. Okay. All right. Awesome. Thank you. So um, right here we see our pressure. It's the pressure and flow graph of the patient getting the volume. Um, we see the uh, accelerating flow goes up, that's your inspiratory pressure going up, and then you get that pressure hold. So that's your inspiratory time. And then you get the decelerating flow of the, of the inspiration. But you notice that there's still that inspiratory pressure being held. Yeah. Um, and that's the great thing about pressure control ventilation. And you'll see a graph later with assist control how that differs. Um, and, then, uh, yeah, and then end inspirations begins your expiratory time, um, and there is no more, uh, your, your pressure is reduced. So this is a graph of AC versus PCV, assist control. So you got your airway pressure, uh, muscular pressure, and you got your tidal volume. So if you look over here, your volume control, you get the set tidal volume, right? Airway pressure increases on inspiration. Tidal volume is delivered. Then, uh, but it, you get, uh, you get a slow uh, kind of accelerating flow, right? But there's, it does, there's no hold at the pressure, uh, at, the, at the peak airway pressure. You have a slower inspiratory time, so the lungs are inflating slower. Mm -hmm. You hold it for less time, and it starts to mm -hmm. yeah, exhale. It, it's an immediate drop mm -hmm. versus that little plateau at the mm -hmm. top. Is that mm -hmm. what we're right. referring to? And then um, I'm also going to mention here, so... If you were to put this on top of this, right, mm -hmm. you would actually see a, the pressure from the pressure control come up like that, right? Yeah. So you see this, this radius from, from this point and from the splits between the volume control, mm -hmm. that area is mean airway pressure. Oh. That mean airway pressure is uh, important for actually like driving pressure, which I mentioned earlier, um, your, your uh, peak uh, on top of your plateau pressure. That helps with improved oxygenation, increasing um, oxy um, uh, alveolar recruitment, um, mm. and keeping, maintaining the airways open for longer oxygenation. Um, also, it helps with uh, preventing um, atelectasis and alveolar collapse. Mm. And then you also see here, um, the patient actually got better tidal volumes, right? Um, with the pressure control. Yeah. But then, but then, you know, still not, we still really didn't sacrifice much for peak airway pressures, you know. Yeah, it's not too different mm -hmm. there. So important variables of uh, <coughs> pressure control ventilation, avoidance of alveolar distension, over distension. It allows to use inverse expiratory, expiratory, inspiratory time ratio of ventilation in which E time is shorter than I time. Uh, the longer I time allows for increased mean airway pressure which I explained, 
um, improving oxygenation, keeping the alveoli open longer, leading to increased alveoli recruitment, which is a key importance for RS, you know, which we tend to see um, alveolar collapse um, um, and um, poor lung oxygenation. <clears throat> so is this, sorry, mm -hmm. th this is going to be, uh, it might end up being a silly question, but so if I'm just breathing naturally mm -hmm. and I take a deep breath and I hold it before I exhale, is that similar to what pressure control is doing because it's holding that pressure in there? Absolutely, especially if you, you know, basically when you hold your breath, you're increasing your eye time. Yeah. Your eye time. Because ideally, you know, no one, no one breathes normally like that. And then we, we, we don't do a breath hold because basically um, your eye time, um, basically increasing your eye time is almost like um, creating a plateau. Yeah. Uh, create, extending your plateau pressure, right? Because um, on a ventilator, um, when we, when we want to check our plateau pressure, we actually have to manually do an inspiratory pause in order mm, to see it. Yeah. You, you, you don't, you don't, it's not a real-time setting. Yeah. You have to... You have to, you have to yeah, you have I've to seen you do initiate, that before. You have to initiate inspiratory pause that makes the patient do an inspiratory hold and then um, basically extends the eye time um, and then that lets us know what our plateau pressure is. Okay. Um, so uh, it also helps maintain spontaneous breathing um, and advantage for use of the diaphragm re-expanding collapse dependent lung areas and reducing muscle atrophy. Hmm. Um, CPAP and PEEP. So CPAP is continuous positive, positive airway pressure. <clears throat> it's a type of positive airway pressure where airflow is introduced into the airways to maintain a continuous pressure constant, constantly, basically setting the airways open in patients who are breathing, breathing spontaneously already. So you'll see this in patients we're like weaning off the vent. Um, we want them to breathe spontaneously, um, and it allows us to keep the airways open doing inspiratory and expiratory. So these patients are awake and aware. Oh, very much. Yeah. Um, like our one patient that we have on ECMO, um, we have had him on intermittent CPAP modes, mm -hmm. um, even though he's on a ventilator still. Um, yeah. And depending on his work of breathing, his diaphragm, um, and how compliant his lungs is, that will determine how well the patients will usually do on CPAP. Okay. And what, uh, are you going to get to BiPAP and tell me the difference? We're also going to get on BiPAP okay. here in a minute, too. Um, so uh, PEEP uh, is positive and in, in expiratory pressure, which we talked about earlier. Um, it's pressure that ma that's maintained in alveoli above atmospheric, atmospheric, atmospheric pressure at the end of expiration. It's a key important in keeping airways open, alveoli open for lung recruitment, um, ideally, 5 to 20 centimeters of water is typical settings. Um, CPAP can also be used with pressure support. Um, basically, CPAP with, with pressure support is what you call BiPAP. Oh. Uh, so C you're partially doing it mm -hmm. on, like partially having the positive pressure, mm -hmm. but when you're not, then you're on uh, pressure support. Pressure support. So, okay. so when you add pressure support, it becomes BiPAP because pressure support um, is involved with maintaining the airway pressure only on inspiration. Um, and that allows the, to reduce the negative pressure the patient has to, to make to overcome for each, yeah, if each you, breath. If you hold the pressure, mm -hmm. then for them to then spontaneously breathe, they then have to have an even more negative pressure to overcome it, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So when you BiPAP, you're giving them that high pressure, but then you give them a break, and then it's a lower pressure. pressure, and so then it's easier for them to inhale. 
correct? And, correct. And, and actually, pressure support um, does not uh, really alter your peak pressures at all much either, oh. because because the only the only purpose of pressure support is is just to help uh, overcome that negative pressure that the patient has to uh, um, push to to the pull. effort to pull to pull, yeah, pull. to pull, pull. <laughs> pull. pull. To pull, to pull, okay. exactly. Um, so it's useful when trying to wean patients from ventilators, allowing the patients to breathe spontaneously on minimal vent settings and support. Um, so uh, pressure support ventilation with SIMB. So we can also use pressure support with SIMB as well. SIMB, like I mentioned, is, is synchronous and in, uh, intermittent man mandatory ventilation. Pressure support can be used in any vent settings that allows true spontaneous breath it can be delivered via not invasive ventilation or non-invasive. So we used to see it in patients um, before they like before they actually get intubated and they yeah. come to us for our ECMO. They're usually in a BiPAP, yeah. um, you know, because it increases or you know, patients with um, uh, OSA obstructive sleep apnea, right? Um, yeah. uh, you, you need that increased inspiratory pressure and expiratory pressure to keep uh, the the tongue uh, down and airways open because of the anatomy and also because they're Work of breathing. Usually when they're very heavy, that's probably problem. Really heavy, absolutely. Yeah, sleep apnea is most common in heavy people, Heavy people, right? absolutely. Mm. Um, pressure support only occurs on inhalation, commonly used in SIMB CPAP mode to help increase inspiratory pressure, like I said. Pressure support settings typically are set 5 to 25 uh, uh, centimeters of water, and the pressure set is added on top of any set peak. For example, at a peak of 5, with a pressure support of five, your total airway pressure will be 10. Mm -hmm. So that's how you calculate what your total airway pressure is. Mm -hmm. um, similar to AC, but instead of delivering specific volumes, pressure, pressure support delivers set pressure with each breath. So SIMV um, mm -hmm. is a type of volume control ventilation which delivers a mandatory breath with a set tidal volume while also allowing spontaneous breathing. If the patient makes an, effort, an inspiratory effort during a window of time during the IMV rate or the SIMV rate, the ventilator delivers a response to the patient's inspiratory effort. So the, um, the patient will actually, uh, if, the, if, if, the vent, um, if the vent, if the patient triggers a breath on inspiratory, on inspiration, and the, the IMV rate of the synchronous uh, uh, SIMV uh, vent senses it, it'll actually deliver the pressure on inspiratory. Okay. So this is a, a graph showing uh, I like pictures. pressure support <laughs> ventilation. Uh, right here, this is the patient triggering the breath, right? Mm -hmm. Negative pressure. You see the rise in pressure. You see that hold in pressure support. Um, and then decelerating pressure. You have your flow increases. You see the decelerating flow. That's the, uh, the end of the flow cycle. Uh, your waveform of the volume going in, a uh, volume going out. Mm -hmm. And then obviously, you know, like I mentioned, uh, there are some pressure limits, you know, basically based on the patient's peak pressure. Mm -hmm. um, this is a good graph I really like um, showing assist control and SIMV. So uh, with assist control, uh, this is, uh, you see the, the um, tidal volume flow goes up. Uh, there's a hold and then it goes down. You see the same with SIMB. Um, pressure, you see uh, 
accelerating volume uh, pressure going up with the with, with the volume being delivered, decelerating pressure when the volume goes down. Um, but with SIMV over here, you actually see uh, spontaneous breathing. So the patient is actually able to breathe spontaneously um, mm. within the breath. Uh, where assist control, the patient is only able to trigger the vent spontaneously. But they, they can't determine their volume they cannot, or, because the or volume, inspiration. Or the volume inspiration. is always set. Got it. Um, so SIMB is also a great tool to help manage and protect from lung injury and high peak pressures because um, the patient can actually breathe spontaneously and manage their own tidal volumes. And, you know, that's, that's, that's important, you know, to know because a lot of times we get these patients that are on ventilators um, and they can be on a vent for two to three weeks, sometimes longer than that. When they're not breathing spontaneously or triggering their breath, um, what happens is they lose atrophy to the diaphragm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, they they lose muscle. Muscle, yeah. yeah. So, so when it's you, even harder. So when you try to wean them off, yeah. then you have to, you know, basically um, recover or rehabilitate that, that diaphragm to, to, you know, start working again. And that increases your ICU time, increases, you know, intubation time. You know, by that time, the patient... So any time you can have a little bit of natural breath, Absolutely. it's better. Huh. Absolutely. Hmm. Um, so uh, principles of a mechanical ventilation. Um, and I know Joe uh, had a lot of questions about this the other day. Understanding peak airway pressures and plateau pressures. These are very important things to, to know. And um, they're not as simple as they seem, um, but they can be if you understand the properties and what, 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 what the bases are. So peak pressure is uh, dynamic or airflow. That measures the, the airflow going in of the vent and going out. Um, your plateau pressure is actually the measure the pressure when air stops, when there is no flow or the termination of inspiratory flow. That is your plateau pressure. Peak pressure for any volume delivered to the lungs, the presence, the, the pressure or resistance is the result of the airway's dynamic ventilation event. Um, so that can occur during inspiratory and expiratory. Um, peak, peak pressure is always greater than plateau pressure, right? Because plateau, because, uh, because plateau pressure, because airway resistance, uh, peak pressure is your airway resistance with uh, airflow, right? Mm -hmm. So um, plateau pressure is once the volume or air is delivered into the lungs, at full inflation, and there is no more air movement in the airways, the pressure that is determined at that point is your compliance or your plateau pressure. So it's kind of like an inspiratory hold, like we were saying. Mm -hmm. You breathe in, you hold your pressure, that there's no air moving, right? Because I've ceased the flow, I'm just holding the, the, the volume. So that's your plateau. Mm. And that basically tells you what your lung compliance is as well. Plateau measures lung compliance in the lungs when no air is moving, and can be done by selecting inspiratory pause maneuver, which I talked about earlier, mm -hmm. on a ventilator results. Uh, and these results are subjected to the small airways and alveoli, right? So, um, so your plateau pressures could be increased if you have um, fluid in your alveoli in your small airways, right? That will increase, uh, decrease your lung compliance. Mm -hmm. Increased resistance, probably increase your, your peak airway pressure as a result. Mm -hmm. That make makes sense? Yes. It does, actually. It does. It makes a lot of sense. So why understanding peak and plateau pressures are important to help diagnose vent needs? So causes of elevated peak pressures 
would be airway resistance, bronchospasms, asthma, secretion, mucus plugs, or an occluded ET tip. Mm. Causes of elevated plateau pressures would be decreased compliance, uh, uh, pneumothorax, pulmonary edema. Pneumothorax is what we, we see a lot. Yeah, we see you know, a lot. In our ARDS patients because they get stiff lungs. Uh, ARDS, pneumonia, pleural effusion, and atelectasis. Um, atelectasis is uh, when you have uh, dead or uh, non-compliant alveolized that are not functioning anymore and just have collapsed and there's no no uh, no no gas exchange. Do, can you come back from that, or that they're dead? Um, you can because um, and 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 atelectasis, and that's where PEEP comes in, oh. um, because remember I said PEEP actually helps increase mean airway pressure, because you're not allowing your alveolus to collapse because um, you deliver a tidal volume and then when the volume never goes back to zero, right? It always comes back to five or 10 mm-hmm. centimeters of water because that's what your peep is set that's at. That's what peep is. So, that, so your, your alveolus, your little sacs in your lungs are always staying open at five or 10 centimeters of water. And that helps because what happens is it's, it begins to recruit the, the, uh, the neighborhood uh-huh. alveoli um, mm-hmm. to, to, to actually oxygenate more because once those become a little bit more compliant, um, you reduce some of the fluid uh, retention that the lungs are getting oh. by proning and uh, diuresing di- these patients, then you start to recruit, you know, and, and, and um, improve some of that electricity. Oh. Even, you know, um, patients that are, you know, go to the OR just for a, um, a typical surgery, you know, surgery time is long, intubation time is long. Um, sometimes they actually see some minor clinical atelectasis that we, we don't know about. But, you know, studies and, you know, um, physicians have said that, you know, these are present. That, mm. But uh, typically, uh, because of the intubation time aren't as long and extended as our really sick pulmonary respiratory failure patients, um, their, their improvement is, <coughs> recovery is probably a lot, uh, a lot better than, mm-hmm. than what we see. Um, normal airway resistance uh, is a change in pressure uh, less than or equal to 10, um, 10 between PIP or peak inspiratory pressure in your plateau. So for instance, uh, if your peak inspiratory pressure is uh, 40 and your plateau pressure is uh, 25, so um, your airway resistance is elevated, right? Because you have an airway resistance, a a delta P of greater than 10. But But if your plateau pressure is 30 and your peak airway pressure is 40, then that delta P is actually, it's less than or equal to 10. So typically your airway resistance is, is probably normal, you know, and, and, um, and you know, your plateau pressure, you may have a, a, a minor compliance issue. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I have an example here which might kind of help define that a little bit. Example, so in a patient with asthma on a ventilator, you have a peak pressure of 45, a plateau pressure of 20. That kind of tells you you have an increased resistance in normal airway pressures uh, because uh, your, your, your delta P uh, for, from your PIP and your plateau is greater than 10, it's uh, 25. Yeah. So that tells you you have an increased air, elevated uh, plat- um, airway resistance. In ARDS, you'll see, actually we, we tend to see a, peak, peak, a high peak pressure, of course, but your plateau pressure is usually high. So a, a peak of 45 and a plateau of 40, it's only a 5 centimeter water difference. 
But your plateau pressure is so high, that's your yeah. clue? So that tells us it's an alveoli problem. It's a, it's mm. a, it's a compliance problem, right? So, um, so obviously you have an elevated peak and an alveoli yeah. and, and an elevated plateau pressure, so you have a compliance problem okay. and not an airway resistance, where asthma is just airway resistance, correct? Right. So asthma, airway resistance, you would see increased peak, uh, peak but not plateau. Correct. Because Ours has, has, has uh, right. compliance issues, so you'd see increased peak and plateau. Right, because your plateaus uh, are more subjected to your small airways, yeah. alveoli, okay. right? I got it. Um, this is another graph for Joe here. I know he loves these graphs. I do. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you have your pressure and your flow, problem, flow, uh, flow chart. You, you, you got your flow going in. Pressure increases, right, with the flow. Uh, and then you have a pressure drop during uh, expiration. So again here, you have uh, inspiratory pressure, right? And you have a breath hold. So that's your plateau pressure, right? So this here is all is your plateau pressure. Um, from so the 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 peak of the spike here at, at the top of your inspiratory pressure is your peak pressure. But when it comes down and you see this little notch where it actually plateaus out, that's that's where your plateau pressure is. Mm -hmm. So ideally looking at this you would you could probably say that this is a compliance issue because this would be a peak pressure of forty and your plateau would be uh, I'm sorry, 45, and your plateau would be about 40, right? Mm -hmm. Just because how high it is. Um, so you have inspiration, plateau rises, and then end of inspiration, and then it just holds. And then you get the expiratory phase mm -hmm. where it, it decelerates, yeah. and, then, and then your flow goes down. Okay. Make sense? Yes. So here's another graph showing the peak and plateau pressure. This is probably a much more normal... Uh, graph. <clears throat> this would probably be a peak pressure of uh, maybe 20 to 30 and your plateau would be maybe 5 to uh, maybe 10, 10 centimeters of water. Um, so you never want to <clears throat> see your peak pressure and your plateau so close together. Correct, correct, yeah. correct. And so this, this, this whole area between your peak and plateau um, <clears throat> measures your resistance, remember? Mm -hmm. um, your peak is your PIP, peak inspiratory pressure, minus your plateau. Okay. And then this is your peak. And this is your baseline, so remember peak always keeps your airways open and it never lets you go back because when you go back below your peak level then you de-recruit or you lose lung alveoli. Mm. So another graph uh, talking about the elevated peak pressure. Um, so you know um, elevated peak pressures of five millimeters of mercury um, and this is showing your peak versus to your plateau. elevated plateau pressure so remember when your plateau pressure is looks like it's closer to the baseline of your peak pressure then that will tell you that you have an elevated plateau pressure mm -hmm. and you probably have a compliance issue does that make sense mm -hmm. <clears throat> so now we're going to talk about secondary ventilated ventilatory modes um, these modes actually could be a little confusing because these are a lot different than what we have been used to seeing in your standard um, assist control and pressure control mode, but um, this, these two modes are actually, you actually set pressure and you do you not set tidal volume. And I'll tell you the difference between APRV and bilevel. They're not the same. Some people think they're the same. Um, they're almost the same, but they have a couple of uh, key tools that 
a clinician can set that will um, differentiate the two. <clears throat> so APRV stands for Airway Pressure Release Ventilation. Bio, and by level, um, they're both considered open lung approach because it allows the patient to breathe spontaneously, unrestricted, on inspiration and expiration. Okay. APRV is a controlled mode of ventilation that ventilates the patient with a long time high. Time high, so that's your, uh, time high is your uh, eye time. Yeah. Um, and a short time low. Short time low, um, basically, it's another way of saying E time. Okay. Um, but they just call it time high and time low. Your typical time high would be four to five to six seconds. Your short, uh, and then short time low would be uh, 0.5 to 0.8 seconds. Mm. So looking at those two numbers, could, can you tell me what you think the, the, the IE ratio would be? Uh, it would be normal, correct? It would be normal? A, no, it's, it would be inverse, right? It's inverse right? because you're breathing in so much longer than you're it, allowing yourself to right. breathe out. It looks like it's four, four, four or five to, or to six one. to one. Yeah. yeah, because normally your eye time, you're seeing like one to two mm -hmm. or so one to four. So this is a very slow inspiration right. and poof, poof. expire. Yeah, it's like, like, <gasps> slow inspiration. Right. Yeah. Like yeah. So, yeah. So obviously, and I've heard that on the ventilator. You hear it going. Yeah, you know, and that really slow, and that what you hear is actually, it's it's called it's it's the airway pressure release ventilation. So this vent mode purposely sets sets it for the patient to increase oxygenation okay. and and actually um, use a permissive hypercapnia yeah. approach because um, you you want to um, you know you want to increase oxygenation. But you're actually you're not setting a peak on this. Oh. You're actually intentionally creating an intrinsic auto peak. So there's no set peak. But and that's because the expiration time is, is so, so short, short. And the inspir inspiratory time is so, so long. long. So, so you, you won't have, lose your pressure? Yeah, yeah it doesn't all go down. The, the patient to, doesn't have time. It's, have it's like air trap. You're, you're, you're air trapping the patient. Yeah. So obviously you wouldn't put a patient with COPD on this. Yeah. Or, right. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, no, it makes perfect sense. But I just wonder how, like, I guess you really have zero CO2 problems because even if you were doing a little, someone with the normal is already going to be, uh, have high CO2s. And if you're running high CO2s at all, you know, like our COVID patients, mm -hmm. some of them, you know how they just have out of control CO2s, this wouldn't be a great method for them, right? Mm -hmm. Unless you're allowing that. So there is a technique yeah. that some people are using where they're using this vent setting and they're letting the PCO2s because their argument is that they're going to have to live with this very high Chronic. PCO2. Yeah. So they're letting them have PCO2s of yeah. 70, 80, I've seen as high as 90, and letting them over time metabolically adapt, uh, adapt yeah. yeah, compensate huh. and become very, uh, build their bicarb up. And mm. that's what their technique was. Mm. I don't think it worked out very well, but that was a technique mm. that was yeah. being used earlier last year. And so we look at this and you know, you know, we're thinking now, okay, we're 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 sacrificing our cycle time, you know, to, to, to do this mode of ventilation. But remember, we, we, we still can mimic our CO two removal with our tidal volume, right? Because remember, um, minute ventilation is tidal volume time yeah, respiratory. So rate. if you increase your tidal volume on this, it's gonna help mm -hmm. with your mm -hmm. uh, CO two. Mm -hmm. But in this in this vent mode, the confusing thing is you don't actually set a tidal volume. Oh. Your tidal volume is set on, you have pressure settings, two levels of peak. Peep high, 
and that goes up to a max of 30 centimeters of water in a peep low. Typically, or pressure. Yeah. You mean pressure. Pressure, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, it's called P-high, I'm sorry. P-high and P-low. Yeah. It's called P-high and P-low, but you can recognize it as P-low. Yeah, like when we, we've had these patients, and when you go to look at the ventilator, that's what it says, and you'll see two, you know, a two. range of numbers, and they're somewhere in between, but... And the P-low is always, the P -low is always set at zero. So, Be because you have the, the pressure release ventilation where you have the intrinsic auto peep, so your peep will always register one, two, maybe like three, you know, but it never really measures zero, right? Even though you set it at zero, you, you can adjust it if you actually want the patient to get a higher peak, you know, a high, if you want to incre increase that intrinsic higher peak. Um, and I've seen it, you know, I've seen it, they'll increase it to maybe three or even five, mm -hmm. yeah. you know, but you don't need a lot of high but level But this is peak. the only ventilator mode where you don't set a peak, yeah. correct? Correct. Mm -hmm. so, because the length of time they're under positive pressure is yeah. much longer and so they're than, never it gonna, be, than it would be ordinarily. Yeah. And so the... The, the, the P high or the high peep, you could kind of say that's your, 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 your inspiratory pressure, your PI. Remember earlier we yeah. talked about PI? You know, that inspiratory pressure because that allows you to give you a peep. So is, is all this kind of making sense? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So um, uh, like I was saying, this method uses, and um, so another thing that we haven't mentioned yet. So this, in this mode, the good thing about this mode, remember I said, is uh, they consider it an open lung called an open lung approach. Open lung approach meaning the patient, the patient can breathe spontaneously throughout inspiratory or expiratory, anytime during the breath. So the patient breathes every two seconds, it'll allow the patient to breathe spontaneously mm -hmm. during inspiratory time and expiratory time. So in addition to um, increasing or having a good sufficient tidal volume to remove, remove CO2, the patient is intermittently removing CO2 on his own when they're breathing spontaneously mm -hmm. on top of those stacked inspiratory and expiratory breaths during the whole spontaneous breathing. Does that make sense? Yes. And, and, I, and I have a graph later. So you It'll, probably couldn't be at really heavy sedation for this to be very effective, right? Because they're not going to you have... Know, you can you can have the patient sedation because um, um, they... Uh, I have seen... I don't have it in here, but I have seen some papers that have said that they did not show a difference in outcomes for patients who are paralyzed and sedated yeah. versus not paralyzed and sedated. Oh, okay. Because, um, you know, obviously, um, if you have a patient in this mode, um, you know, typically for us, obviously with ECMO patients, we always have some level of sedation and paraly paralytic going um, just well, because of the, the status, you know, yeah. um, unless we're trying to wean them mm -hmm. off and, you know, get them off, get them intubated. So actually, this may be a good approach to help improve their work of breathing, the spontaneous breathing. Yeah. Um, and then um, it, you know, helps. Um, it's, it, they they consider it a, a rescue therapy for severe RS to improve oxygenation, okay. like I was saying with permissive hypercapnia. Mm -hmm. um, and then, like we mentioned earlier, the two levels of P high and P low, the difference between the two levels determine your tidal volume. Um, so this is a graph here showing um, APRV. Um, so your flow goes here, right? You see the spontaneous breathing, mm -hmm. the patient's just breathing. And look what you hear up top, see up here. You see the pressure going up, the P high, right? <clears throat> That's the set pressure. And then you see the patient uh, triggering their breath and actually breathing spontaneously. So the patient just is taking spontaneous breath, you know, throughout this whole 
inspiratory time, and boom, you get the you get the pressure relief, and then the um, at P low, it doesn't go back to baseline. It stops at maybe one or two centimeters of water, mm. and it goes all the right. It goes right back up. Goes right back up. And then the patient's able to breathe breathe spontaneously. Mm. Still adequate um, CO two removal um, with some permissive hypercapnia, but you have that long. You have this very long T high or I time to improve oxygenation, right? Mm -hmm. um, increase um, alveoli recruitment. Make sense? Making mm -hmm. sense? Mm -hmm. Okay. Bi-level. So, um, bi-level, this is, this is a diagram on bi-level. Um, and bi-level here uh, shows you um, uh, inspiratory flow going in, right? And then the patient begins to breathe spontaneously, and the patient actually triggers each breath spontaneously. The difference between bi-level, um, there's no pressure relief. So bi-level, you actually set the, the, the P low or the peep, the low peep, and then it'll hold, and it actually just releases, but it holds, and you actually get a, a, a little bit of a longer expiratory time. Mm -hmm. So your IE ratio is not quietly inverse. It may be more closely to a one-to-one, -one or a two to one ratio, mm. which so is not what six to one. I'm, I'm used to see, yeah, six to one, yeah. Not yeah six when to you one. say when you say APRV, you're talking six four to six seconds of inspiratory Correct. time, and in bi level you're talking two to one. Two two to inverse, one inverse, but inverse, two to one. Two to one, correct. But they're both inverse. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The verse not your standard because standard um your 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 expiratory is always going to be longer than inspiratory. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right, so um, I think we touched a good bit about uh, bilevel and APRV. Hopefully, that was um, able to give you enough understanding on those two. Um, so let's talk about ARDS because you know we, we want to know you know how how we can adequately manage our ARDS patients you know on a, on a ventilator. So ARDS is acute respiratory distress distress syndrome. It occurs when fluid builds up in the alveoli of your lungs. Fluid builds up, causing inflammatory condition, causing to alveoli collapse making the lungs stiff, restricting blood and oxygen gas exchange um, in, in the pulmonary circulation, um, creating, you know, VQ mismatch and shunts. Um, ARDS is considered a restrictive lung disease causing severe shortness of breath, which can lead to severe lung damage and infection. Um, vent findings with ARDS. So uh, you, you, with, vent, with, with ARDS, you see fluid-filled alveoli resulting in alveolar collapse. So what happens is your lungs become stiff, causing for decrease in lung compliance, resulting in increased plateau pressures like we talked about earlier, which will also cause your high peak pressures on vent support. Uh, so therapeutic approach, um, open lung mode ventilation, uh, like we talked about with uh, APRV and bilevel, or uh, pressure control uh, or pressure support would be helpful so the patient can actually breathe spontaneously, maintaining some level of peak to help uh, improve um, alveolar recruitment by, you know, maintaining a peak level of 12 to 14 centimeters of water. Preferred low tidal volumes with, with high peak actually prevents de-recruitment. Um, so, you know, you see sometimes these patients, and um, I've seen them, um, and, you know, sometimes I wonder why they're delivering such big tidal volumes. Mm. You know, and I don't know, you know, if these intensivists don't understand the, the physiology behind it. I mean, they're very smart, so I know they do, but maybe they, they're not really paying attention as much. You know, they're kind of doing a set it and forget it. Mm 
-hmm. you know, with these patients. They're thinking that, you know, okay, we put them on ECMO, the ECMO will do everything, but we still need to rely on good, efficient ventilatory support. For especially, if they, especially if they have high cardiac output. Absolutely, yeah. If they that's have enough. high cardiac output, mm -hmm. we have to recruit some lung. We do. In yeah. order to be able to... So there's really no, no reason to have a tidal volume 550, 600 when we're on ECMO, Absolutely. right? I wouldn't think so. Would, absolutely not. I mean, I've I would seen say, that recently. Would, my view, and men can correct me if I'm if I'm wrong, my view is reduce the tidal volume. I would use I would use uh, whatever whatever the setting is to control the pressure. Use some That's the key. heat. Like I would only go maybe to five seven something. Whatever I had to right. to try and keep the alveoli open, keep that recruitment. But I would re I would not let the peak pressures go over thirty is what I would. And that's do. the key. Joe makes a good point because you're not you're not targeting a low tidal volume, but you're okay with the low tidal volume. But you I can blow the CO two off. Exactly. You want to achieve the the maximized tidal volume to to preserve your pressure, because the higher the peak pressures, what you see is you see increased peak pressures. Um, you, you cause stress, shear stress on the alveoli, um, and then you blow a pneumo. So you're not, you right. you're not intentionally doing low tidal volume. You're doing as much tidal volume as you can while maintaining an acceptable peak pressure. Peak pressure. But you're, you're limited because yes. of the lung compliance. Yeah. Well, they have lung protective ventilatory strategies. Yeah. No, yeah, and I'm not talking about for me setting it. I'm just trying to understand oh, yeah. it. And, and, and so this... This is typically what ARDS, ARDS net protocol they, they go by. They, they say per, per, they prefer a low tidal volume with a high peak um, and, an, and a high respiratory rate. Um, so, you know, high peak, like I mentioned before, it actually prevents de-recruitment, right? Protects your alveoli from over-distension, but keeps them open, um, reducing the shear stress caused by the opening and closing during ventilation. Because what happens is when you, when you open and close, the lungs and you're over expanding the lungs, what happens is over expanding the lungs more than what uh, are normal peak pressures, you're stretching the, 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 the tissue of the elasticity mm. of, of, of the wall of the alveoli. So those over time um, can become inflamed and then they, they get damaged mm -hmm. and, then, and then you get collapsed. Now, when you say high PEEP, what, are, what kind of numbers are you talking about? Because I know too high of PEEP is not good either. 12 to 14. 12 to 12 14. 12 14. Okay. Oh, I see it there. 12 to 14. Yeah. When yeah. you see a PEEP of 18 and 20, you're in trouble. Yeah. 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 And so, okay. And so, you know, you, you'll see. And so I, 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 I get it sometimes now when I do see some patients, you know. And, you know, it, it'll be, it may be my first time seeing the patient. Patients are already on ECMO. They're on a vent. Uh, but they're still on a high PEEP. So the, the lung strategy is the higher the peak, the more the peak, you're, you're not allowing the, the uh, alveoli to, to close and you're not letting the lung uh, get to baseline. Mm -hmm. So you want to maintain as much mean airway pressure, remember, because you want to keep, keep that level of peak as close as possible to your plateau, right? Because mm -hmm. the closer, because you have a window of your peak inspiratory pressure, right? Um, or your plateau pressure, I'm sorry, your plateau pressure, um, minus your peak, that number, you want it 14 to 18, and that's a safe window to allow for a, a good mean airway pressure 
but uh, has been seen to help improve oxygenation and help Im improve recruitment of alveoli. So getting our peak level as close to that plateau as much as possible uh, is important, but also you have to be mindful of what your peak pressure will be because any increase in peak, peak pressure will increase your peak inspiratory pressure as well, right? Because all that plateau and your peak is always on top of what your peak will be. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so, just like I said, uh, you know, this, you know, you never want to overdistend your your alveolis because that'll cause sheer stress. You know, uh, with high tidal volumes, um, the smaller the tidal volumes given, you know, you you can increase your respiratory rate as necessary um, to increase your minute ventilation for optimal CO two removal. Mm. So, um, but also remember, uh, increasing respiratory rate could increase dead space. So, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, those go hand in hand. I mean, so they're you, all you have to look at everything. Exactly. Interconnected. Absolutely. One decision you can't, you can't affects... Just, you yeah. can't set it and forget it. You can't forget about one. Yeah. So how serious is ARDS? Um, there are about 200,000 cases of ARDS each year in the U.S. And, and it probably is, could be even higher now. I mean, you know, um, I, I have to look at the data when this was taken from mm -hmm. um, the, the article I saw. Um, I don't know, Joe, have you seen... Um, has the numbers have gone up from from what this showing here? You know, I Eastern? don't I don't think so. It's, uh, from what I understand, I think that's probably reasonable. reasonable. I think it may have gone up. I think that data is not really out yet. You know, because now it's tied into to COVID. COVID, right? Yeah. yeah, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to wait. You know, all of this data is usually two or th a couple of years at couple least years behind. True. Because they, cause they and have to, is it ARDS? There's an argument about that, or mm -hmm. is it COVID-related lung injury? They're not, you know, some people are saying this isn't ARDS, but I mean, I think ARDS is kind of a catch-all phrase. Yeah, it's a big, big you know, category, right? I think it's COVID ARDS because, because you get ARDS secondary to COVID. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, I think I think it's yeah, I think acute respiratory distress syndrome is what it is. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's a yeah. catch-all term. But then, but then, you know, when patients expire in the ICU. They just say, oh, the patient died from COVID. They don't say ours. Mm -hmm. right? That's mm -hmm. how they, they define it, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. And so, yeah. Well, you know, I think, it's, I think they're saying that, but I think, I, I don't know. I mean, I think you It'd say be interesting to know, the patient right? died they... from influenza, but they had, they were in the hospital mm -hmm. for, you know, influenza-related right. ARDS, whether it's H1N1 or, hep mm -hmm. or uh, influenza B right. or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. anyway, go ahead. So, go. so chances of dying from ours is 30 to 50%. Tie. And those who survive have long hospital stays, which we, we, we know. Yeah. yeah, we know. Um, end up probably getting trapped and, you know, whatnot. Uh, many ARS patients develop complications while hospitalized in the ICU. We've seen that a lot. Complications, pneumonia, collapsed lung, pneumos, uh, other infections, severe muscle weakness, um, um, diaphragmatic atrophy, right? Confusion, kidney failure. Mm. Yeah, diaphragmatic atrophy and also, uh, you know, just atrophy of everything they're laying there we're going to paralyze these people listen i had a real quick question yeah. uh jeff campbell asked um is there um what is the best setting um okay several comments eric hunley says you should be giving the class at texas art <laughs> um really nice review um is there a what is the best setting for lung recruitment um the best setting for lung recruitment is going to be any setting that allows you to, you know, have an intrinsic peep or a set peep. Um, because um, 
like we were talking about, <clears throat> you wanna you wanna increase your driving pressure, right? Your driving pressure is gonna be your 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 plateau minus your peak. So whatever that, that mean gradient, that delta P is, uh, your plateau, which would be 30 or 35, um, and whatever your peak level is, you if you can target it to get it between a mean of 15 centimeters of water, then um, I think you're you're having that's a good strategy approach for increasing lung recruitment. Every lung so recruitment. is there a particular setting? So is that is that pressure support? Is that well, is it, well, well, there's well, multiple ones. Yeah, from so the, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't it, matter. It, it, it's the it, whole. So the key to so the question specific question is what mode settings are used for lung recruitment? So I'm assuming that means alveolar recruitment. Alveolar recruitment. Um, and so. You're saying there's not a specific setting. You're you have a goal, and goal. that goal is say it one more time. Peep, peep, peep is the key. Peep is peep, the key. Peep is the key. Peep is like the main, the core of of, of lung recruitment because what happens is peep does not allow the alveoli to collapse to a limit. To a limit. To a no. To a limit, to a limit. though. Peep to a limit. Peep so you can't you can't say okay peep. peep's the best. I'm gonna set it right. at forty. But but having having any kind of people on board, even five centimeters of water. Allows your your pressure not to get to baseline because you want to keep those alveoli open, so you know they don't close all the way and collapse. So you a peak range open. from five to what? Five, five um, from five to fifteen centimeters. That's of water. safe. That's safe. Correct. That's safe. Mm -hmm. Five to five to fifteen. Um, but you know, like we we also talked about, having a, a higher peak will increase your peak pressure. So you you, you have limitations. Yeah. Um, so it actually because the pressure is going to yeah. dictate how high you can Absolutely. go. Absolutely. So it depends on your patient's needs. So um, there's not a specific setting, but uh, if you just remember, having any kind of set peep on any kind of ventilatory support will help increase recruitment. Um, and if you remember uh, your peak, your plateau pressure minus your peak, that window, um, if you can target uh, anywhere between 15, uh, 14, or 18 centimeters of water. Um, of, of, of pressure, driving pressure, that will that will gradually uh, help your your alveolar recruitment. Mm. Um, but you know it all depends on the patient's needs. You know some patients may do very well on APRV by level. You have the intrinsic peep or you have the the low peep set. Remember at by level, but the patient's actually able to breathe spontaneously. That actually helps with exercising the diaphragm. You know. Um, permissive hypercapnia. Um, you can't use that on a patient who's retaining a lot of CO2. Mm -hmm. Stiff lung, COVID patients, we're seeing the fibrotic lungs. There's no gas exchange, right, because the lungs are so stiff. So they're retaining a whole lot of CO2. Those won't really work on those patients because they're still re retaining a lot of CO2. Although you can adjust the tidal volume depending on the, the P high and P low, but that's still going to limit you based on the peak pressure. Mm -hmm. There's right. just a lot of moving so every, parts. There's every, a lot every, of moving, every, and it's all interconnected. It's like plumbing. Yes, it's they're all, plumbing you can't do pump, one. Yeah. This plumbing is air yeah. and oxygen so, so and, hope, and gas. I hope that you was call? answered yeah. your question you know, yeah. and helpful. We have a call. We have a call. Go ahead, sir. Hi, who's this? Good morning. Good morning, good morning guys. Hey, good morning. Hey, Eric. Hello. Hey, good morning. Hey, I, I want to compliment men on a really great presentation. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Eric. Yeah. I appreciate it. Just just exceptional, I thought. And uh, I probably haven't had that comprehensive a review in, in many years. You probably taught more in half an 
at all for Asian school now. Well, I'll that was my goal. I, I wanted you guys to take home and hopefully come away with something that you could use additional in your toolbox to help save some patients in. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, absolutely. You know, not, you know, so many of us aren't seized by career or prior career. And uh, it's always great to have a review, particularly in, in terms of the amount of complicated respiratory situations we're dealing with these days. So, again, thanks. Uh, you ought to teach that class with Debbie's students at Texas Heart. So. Absolutely. Um, I, I, I would 